You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. You must, if you're going to invest in resources, especially gold, especially silver, you must look at these asset classes, not as the gold bugs do, not as your silver guru who's telling you for years and years and years now that silver is going to 500 an ounce, 1,000 an ounce, whatever. I, I don't care what they say. I care what the generalist investor, the hedge fund, the money manager of a diversified mutual fund, what is going to make them invest in it? You and I, we're a pimple on a flea compared to all of this money that generalist investors have. They're the ones that are going to determine how and, and how quickly and how much gold goes up. This is Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and I'm talking today with Chris Temple of nationalinvestor.com. If you're not familiar with Chris's work, he is a market commentator and newsletter writer. His newsletter covers many sectors and gives a lot of both buy and sell recommendation. I've been a subscriber and following Chris's work now for several months. So if you want investment ideas, not only in the resource sector, but beyond the resource sector. Again, go over to nationalinvestor.com and check out Chris's work. Chris, thanks for coming back on Mining Stock Education. I'd like to start off by learning a little bit more of your experience in the resource sector. As I said, you cover more than just the resource sector, but as you look back over your experience in investing in the resource sector, uh, could you share with us your biggest win? Oh, golly. Uh, biggest win as far as uh, resources, I, I, I don't want to pick just one, but um, uh, I've been fortunate, uh, Bill, at various times to get into a story when it's transitioning and somebody doesn't see it yet or when it's just brand new to people. A uh, few, for instances, uh, several years, um, well, guys, it's not several years. I'd go back to probably about 2000 one or two, I added a company called Polymet Mining to my recommendations. And, and this I did for a couple of reasons. First is it was uh, at the beginning of what was a several year run for metals broadly from around 2002 and three time frame to around 2007 or eight. Uh, so this was a project some people have heard of the name that's uh, the biggest undeveloped polymetallic project in the U.S. It's up in the Arrowhead of Minnesota. I had actually visited the project at the behest of a good friend and, and subscriber of mine when it was owned by a company called Fleck Resources back, I think it was in 98 or 99, something like that. But I didn't bite on it right away for a couple of reasons. First, I didn't like the macro environment and, and having a good macro environment for metals generally is, is something you want to have if you're going to be a resource investor. Uh, and I, it just seemed to me at the time to be too low a grade, uh, they didn't have a development plan and so forth. And and just by chance, I was watching the local news one night. I was living up in northwest Wisconsin at the time. And the local Duluth station had a story about Polymet and having just decided to buy for a song the old LTV steel mill up in their same neighborhood up in the Minnesota Arrowhead. And so I figured, all right, well, that checks a major box of having some place to process all of this ore. Um, again, metals were starting to take off. 
And so we got into that stock about 30 cents a share, got out of it around five or six bucks. Uh, I followed the story since then, unfortunately, for both PolyMet as well as for the broader community in Minnesota. The environmentalists and everybody have run them ragged. Uh, they still are not quite to the development stage yet, although they're, they're just about there. But so much time and money and attrition has happened since then that PolyMet now is effectively a minority owner of their own project. Glencore is their big brother and now owns the majority of it, having had to uh, bail them out time and time again and throw more money into it. So that's that's in the base metal area. Uh, years ago, I was uh, uh, Bema Gold, which uh, of course no longer exists. It was taken out some years back. That was a big winner in the gold space. Uh, these days, for a unique story, and you're going to get a treat today, folks, because I don't always do this. Uh, my paid subscribers always get to hear names first. But look up on the Toronto Exchange, the symbol OMM. That's Omanica Mining and Metals. That stock has quintupled since late last year. And I wouldn't even care if I wasn't bullish on gold. The fundamentals of that story are so staggering that uh, even if I wasn't a gold bull right now long term, that would be a company I would look at. Uh, one more I got to throw in, which is kind of off of a lot of people's radars still, is a company called Star Diamond, which uh, I actually met through a different company, Claude Resources, uh, uh, as with Omanica, in fact, all part of the McNeil family from Saskatchewan, as far as the uh, ownership and management. Uh, I learned about that diamond play, which in those days was called Shore Gold back in the late 90s. And I didn't know the first thing about the diamond industry, uh, but I was given such an understated picture of the company that it quickly won me over to Ken McNeil, who is the president of the company. You know, a lot of us, you, you I'm sure, are susceptible to this, or not susceptible, but you, you get this all the time. I get it all the time. You get a lot of smoke and mirrors and excitement. And one of the things that frankly impresses me is when a mining company CEO is not all excited waving his arms around and tells you just as much what could be wrong right now the project is what's right and in those days uh, the former shore gold now star diamond uh, it was a huge project they've got the biggest kimberlites in the entire world up in central saskatchewan uh, but the knock against them was that there was not high enough grades that story changed we got into that stock at about 10 cents a share along with one of its uh, fellow explorers in the area that uh, they later absorbed. Most of that we sold between five and seven dollars. So there, there's other ones I'm leaving aside. There's a few losers along the way too, but you know, I've got a twofold approach as I alluded to with uh, PolyMet, Bill. First of all, the macro environment hopefully is favorable. And then secondly, within that, you want to look for companies that have got superior fundamentals, whether as exploration plays or they're simply doing better financially than their peers. Chris, you know that some people teach on a double or a triple, sell half or sell at least your initial investment. But as you experienced a, over a 16-fold gain on PolyMet when it ran from 30 to $5, I think when the, the bull cycle is working to your advantage in the resource sector, you want to discern it. Like you said, you want to stay on top of the macro environment as well as what the company is doing and the upcoming catalyst. But it's crucial to really let your winners run in order to really turbocharge your net worth uh, in a bull market. So can you Absolutely. talk about... 
that letting your winners run, especially in a resource bull market? Well, I, I, I try and advocate. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, my if there's a pattern that I've uh, exhibited over time, not as much with resource stocks, because I have had sense enough with them to let winners run if I still like the story. But, you know, biotech and other stocks, I'm usually first in to a story, uh, but then I tend to sell early. Uh, that still rewarded us very well over time. But uh, the, the question you want to ask yourself, if you've got a stock that's on fire, it's moved up. I mentioned Omanika, that stock's gone from $0.05 cents to $0.25. Cents. I'm not going to advocate people sell one bit of that until we move the decimal point at least one place. Uh, so put that, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but generally speaking, you want to look at a company whether it's up or, you know, maybe a company's been cut in half, uh, either way. And ask yourself the question, would I buy this stock today? You know, maybe the company's gone up three or four or five times in, in value, but what are the catalysts that made me buy it and are they still there? Do they look even better? Fundamentally, is the stock overvalued? Now, there are times with a, an exploration playing resources that it, it's, it's not as easy to judge fundamentals and the value of a thing is if it would be for a company that's got earnings and pays a dividend and stuff like that. So, you know, ask yourself, would I buy the stock today? And even if you got into it for a dime, you know, Polymet, we got into the 30 cents, never sold a bit of it until we were near the peak at five, six bucks uh, because it was on fire. And, and I wasn't going to advocate selling that. Uh, Star Diamond, same thing. We were in that around 10 cents, never sold it. We started selling it piecemeal around Four bucks or thereabouts, sold uh, most, most of the rest at seven. Still have residual position because it's a good development story, but it won't ever have those kind of returns, uh, I don't believe. Uh, so ask yourself that. And, and again, if, if the stock is cut in half, you know, there were a lot of people that got shaken out of some really good companies back in February and March that panicked and sold uh, perfectly good companies. So there again, if you see something go down, it gets cut in half. Uh, is the story still good? Was there a, a legitimate reason why it did? Or as we saw, especially in February and March, was it just the overall market going haywire for a little while? And if you did anything back, then you doubled down. You didn't sell. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Arcana Corporation is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginius Mine in Colorado has proven improbable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver with an all-in sustaining production cost of only US $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully permitted with infrastructure already in place and the company has announced they plan to commence production in 2020. Achieving successful production usually results in a significant up share price re-rating on the Lasan curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AUN in Toronto and AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A-U-R-C-A-N-A.com. I have friends that bought First Majestic at the post Lehman Brothers, First Majestic Silver, that is, at the post Lehman Brothers crash bottom in 2008 for a dollar a share. They saw it ran with it up to $30 a share, 
and then kept it and saw it go back down to under $3 a share in late 2015. you have any experience like that or stories you could share? Thankfully, no. I'll tell you what. And again, I'm not perfect, but at the beginning of 2011, uh, we had at that time the highest overall allocation I'd ever recommended to precious metals, about 35% of a portfolio. At the beginning of 2011, pretty much across the board, I told people to sell half of everything, individual stocks, ETFs alike. By the end of 2011, we were down from 35% to something like 10. And by then, it was only individual companies that, for various reasons, I wanted to stick with. Some worked out and some didn't. But that is where it's important to not only understand the fundamentals of the individual company that you're dealing with, but the macro situation, because there were so many red lights early in 2011. And as the year went on, that the mania at the time, and, and there was a monstrous move from the, the end of 2008 until early 2011. You you had, you mentioned First Majestic. We, we were in several stories like that. But when you see a whole sector that is just ridiculously overbought, and more important back then, Bill, and this is this is why I always harp on precious metals investors not looking at the market like they think it's supposed to be, but looking at the market like everybody else sees it who's a generalist investor. Because the sales pitch back then, this is key because we're seeing a little bit of this repeat now, the sales pitch back then was that all the money printing in the wake of the crash in 2008 was going to finally give us that Weimar Germany-like hyperinflation. You got to buy gold. Silver's going to catch up uh, as gold moves up. And all of that was true for a while. But guess what happened? By the time we were getting into 2011, gold had tripled in under you know three years, uh, well under three years. So I guess that cartel is supposed to be manipulating and suppressing the gold price. Somebody kidnapped them. They should have been on milk cartons back then. Uh, silver had an even bigger percentage move higher. But when generalist investors woke up to the idea that this hyperinflation kind of scenario as it was being pitched is not playing out like they were led to believe. And in fact, and we're seeing this again right now the hyperinflation ends up getting shoved back into financial assets, stocks and real estate and bonds and stuff like that. Well, then then that means the fun is over for the precious metals and these generalist investors are going to roll out of them and get back into stocks. And that's what happened. That's why I told people to start selling these things at the peak when everybody else did write them down because they were religious uh, about their love for gold and or silver and didn't understand clearly what was happening in the markets. When it comes to today's markets, uh, you kind of brought us to today with your commentary there. For gold stock investors like myself and the thousands of people that are going to listen to this conversation, what are some of the one or two key narratives or things that's being said in the gold community that you don't think is spot on right now? Well, here again, I think it's some of these talks, this talk about hyperinflation. And that we're going to see that, you know, we're all going to be using wheelbarrows to carry our money around and stuff like that. Now, granted, today, as opposed to 2008 and its immediate aftermath, Bill, the Fed has been far more aggressive. I heard the, the one liner of the day, and I wish I, I wasn't in the car listening to CNBC because I was, 
uh, out running some errands because I wanted to give this guy credit. It's one of the best quips I've heard in a while. This one guy explaining why we're seeing a stock market defy everybody's expectations, my own included, in this recent rally. He said something to the effect of, you know, we all wanted the Fed to make sure that we took care of the liquidity problem. They did more than take care of the liquidity problem. They gave us a water park. And so we're, we're seeing every every asset class one way or the other directly or indirectly supported. So here again, we've got a situation where gold has seen its move interrupted. Uh, you know, we had a few attempts, 1750, 1770 an ounce, couldn't get above it. Thankfully, uh, we, the, the gold bulls defended the fort at uh, 1675 an ounce. If we go below that on a closing basis, you, you, we could see more near-term weakness. But again, I, I stress this over and over, Bill, you must, if you're going to invest in resources, especially gold, especially silver, you must look at these asset classes, not as the gold bugs do, not as your silver guru who's telling you for years and years and years now that silver is going to 500 an ounce, 1,000 an ounce, whatever. I, I don't care what they say. I care what the generalist investor, the hedge fund, the money manager of a diversified mutual fund, what is going to make them invest in it? And what we're seeing again right now is a little bit of the bloom coming off the rose of what has been a very nice rally, especially for gold, uh, because the stock market is, is, is on fire again. And, you know, if you're a gold bug out there, you might think that gold should still be going up. You might have 100 percent of your money in a sector because you're utterly convinced. You'll probably be vindicated. I'm very bullish on gold long term. Don't misunderstand, folks. But look, you and I, we're a pimple on a flea compared to all of this money that generalist investors have. They're the ones that are going to determine how and, and how quickly and how much gold goes up. And when they see the NASDAQ now back, uh, now setting new records, exceeding those of earlier this year, the S&P 500 today went positive. If they're religious about gold, because they don't trust a lot of what they see either, and they don't keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, in chasing the S&P and the NASDAQ and everything else higher, and they are going to be defensive, uh, defensively invested or invest in gold, they're not going to have a job much longer. They're not going to be managing money. They're going to be delivering pizzas or flipping burgers or selling cars or doing something different. So, you know, I still think the narrative is there for gold long term. But right at the moment, it's kind of confused because for a lot of its move of the last year and a half or so since it really started to take off in late 2018, Bill, Gold as often as not has been either a defensive trade or a trade on deflation, not inflation, deflation. And with all of these central banks the world over keeping interest rates suppressed, they don't keep gold suppressed, they keep interest rates suppressed. With them keeping interest rates suppressed, it has made gold relatively more attractive, especially as a reserve asset, and, and that's why it's done so well. Now, we are going at some point, and I'm not convinced this is quite the start of it yet, we are at some point going to go back to the traditional reason for gold to go up as an inflation hedge of some legitimacy, not a deflation hedge. Um, that is the point at which other commodities and metals will start to respond as well. 
you and I have talked about this before. I've talked about it with others. There's a reason why so far silver has been such a pathetic laggard. It's because th this is not the world we had in 2009 and 10, yet the Fed's trying like crazy to make it that way and to make sure this rising tide lifts all boats, but we aren't exactly there quite yet. As your subscribers engage you and ask you for your opinion on different matters, uh, what type of feedback can you share with us? Because you told us to say, pay attention to the man in the street, the generalist. So what type of feedback are you getting from your subscribers? Well, I'll tell you, we, it's been, a, it's been a, a crazy mess, I have to admit. You know, uh, we're up comfortably for the year, but we haven't done it the way you might think we did. I, a couple of weeks ago when the stock market kept going up, I had to tell people to sell at losses some inverse e ETFs that we we had traded into. That was a mistake. Thankfully, when people follow my allocation model, because the way I advocate a portioning an overall portfolio, I'm very conservative. Um, I don't like to do any one thing where if I'm wrong, we're taking a major overall portfolio hit. So it, at the end of the day, we lost about a third to maybe 40 percent uh, because of these uh, bets against the stock market, which were wrong. We gave back about 30, 35, 40 percent of what we had made uh, prior to that in much heavier positions in what I call the odd couple trade. We were very long and very leveraged with a couple of the funds, uh, gold ETFs and treasury bond ETFs. So, you know, we're still ahead of the game there. As far as individual stocks, uh, I'm delighted that uh, there's been several of my story stocks recently on fire. Uh, so with right now, only about half of our portfolio, more or less, depending on whether if someone follows my aggressive uh, growth or my conservative allocations, we got about half of a portfolio, more or less, in stocks at all. The other half right now is in cash. And we'd be doing better if it was all invested. But the individual stocks we've had are doing so well, either rebounding from their lows of February and March or just you know going up in their own right that even that allocation, we're, we're doing at least as well as the market right now. So I, I, I have to say I, I've got an understandable and a methodical way to approach it, but it's certainly not orthodox. <laughs> so people right now are, you know, they, they agree with me. Uh, and, and in fact, the current issue I'm sending out right now, uh, when I finish it up next day or so, is almost all uh, subscriber question and answers. You know, because uh, a lot of people learn better that way than by me just rambling on in some kind of a commentary. It's good that I can focus on different people's questions. And, uh, you know, they, they want to know again, well, gee, we didn't do it this time, but there's got to be a time again. It's we're going to clean up once more betting against the market. Well, that's probably true. But right now it's like, uh, you know, getting in front of a freight train. You don't you know, you got you got a tra you got a tractor trailer doing 80 miles an hour the wrong way down a one way street. He may be going the wrong direction. He may be exceeding the speed limit. But guess what happens if you walk out in front of him, Bill? Mm -hmm. Pancake. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for uh, your insights today, Chris. I really appreciate it. Chris's website, again, is nationalinvestor.com. You can follow him on Twitter also. He's at, at Nat Investor, Nat as an N-A-T, Investor on Twitter. Chris, I look forward to catching up with you in about a month, and thanks for coming on today's show to share your insights. Hey, my pleasure. It's always fun.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. And don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.